I want to, uh, we have a special, I've been looking forward to this for a good while now. I saw a video of Ben Klein, he's the head of the Young Life Ministry uh, of all the schools in this region. He's a member here at River in the Hills. He's got the coolest hair in this room. <laughs> Next to Paul. <laughs> he's got the, wait, there we go. All right, do I, where was I? Where have I been? But there was this video, Kyle sent it to me, of, of Ben going up on this rock like Lion King, and he just going, Rah! and I just said, Ben is cool, but he's on fire. Yeah. All right, you can be cool and fiery, and that's, we are blessed. Ben, ben Klein is going to share the word today, and I, it's really special because Ben grew up uh, in a pastor's home. He moved here from Chicago a year ago. Um, and he's been head of our young, the young life chapters in this area, as I said. So he he's, he's volunteers on a worship team. Uh, he's also, like I said, he has a local connect to the local church and a translocal, which means to the to the greater region. And so, uh, and but I'd say you know the greatest thing I see is you you really are a kingdom man. You're about the kingdom when. You're, you're out there prayer mark walking with us around the school. You're out at cloud and rain and around the, in the Galleria. You know, you're, you're declaring. You're, you're, you, you carry the, the community in your heart. And so, Father, I just thank you for today. We adjust position our hearts to receive with humility the ministry of the word through this man. I just declare full receptivity by this church family, his church family. And Lord, I declare a, a stirring up of the gift mix that you have given Ben. Cause it to stir and to, to be released fully in the measure that is in your heart for us through him. Would you bless him and cause our hearts to hear with faith today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome Ben Klein. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to ask you to roar. You don't need to roar. You want to give me a present? Okay. I don't really care. Thank you, sir. Well, hey, thanks, Pastor Glenn. I appreciate that. Um, those are kind words. Uh, it's good to be up here with you all this morning. Um, as Pastor Glenn said, I grew up a pastor's kid. Um, and so it was pretty funny because when Pastor Glenn asked me to speak back in like, I think it was May when he texted me, um, first of all, I immediately started thinking about what God might have for me to say today. And secondly, I laughed because when I was like nine years old, I used to walk around the house and gather my family together and recite my dad's sermons to them um, <laughs> in, in my own words, you know, not, not, <laughs> not word for word. But uh, so that's pretty funny to have come full circle and now be up here. Uh, this will not be one of my dad's sermons today. This will be an original piece. Um, so that's exciting. And, you know, it's cool how the Lord works because Abigail already uh, has confirmed one of the things that I am going to be talking about today. Um, and that last song also confirmed uh, one of the things that I'm going to be talking about today. And so God is, he's so good and he, he clearly lays those things out for us, right? He puts it he puts what's supposed to be on our hearts on our hearts. Um, so let's pray really quick, and then we'll dive into the Word for a bit. Lord, um, 
I ask you right now, God, for just a simple thing, God. I ask that any words that would come from my mouth today would be from you, uh, and that any words that are not from you would just fall uh, to the ground. Um, We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Awesome. So, as you can tell by the beautiful slide work of Sloan Adams, who is not here this week. He's in L.A., but he still graciously did those slides for me. Um, We're going to be talking about being a witness today. Uh, And I had to work in the LeBron James, we are all witnesses thing. Uh, You know, it it would have been a missed opportunity otherwise. And so... um, I'm going to look, first we're going to look at a couple definitions of witness when you just Google it, right? So you Google witness and you see a few different things. The first three, well, the first two uh, definitions that come up are nouns, right? And it's just uh, a person who sees an event, typically a crime or an accident, uh, a person giving a sworn testimony to a court or a law of police, a lot of law things, first and foremost. And then turns into a verb in the third definition, it says a person who sees an event take place, again, typically a crime or an accident. Uh, And then the last two, I think, are pretty cool. Uh, They're also verbs, and I think they line up pretty well with what the Bible says a witness is supposed to be, right? The last two, the first one says, have knowledge of an event or change from personal observation or experience. And the last one is to give or serve as evidence of and testify to. Right, So from those two, and from the Bible, not just Google's definitions, I came up with this definition for witness. Right, So first, I want to say that when you go back to the original Greek, right, witness means martyr. So first and foremost, these things are just a path that should take us to a place where we're ready to die for Christ. Right, And I think these three things that we're going to talk about today are all in their own little ways dying for Christ, right? I think uh, each one of them has ways that we're going to have to die to ourselves and then pick up that cross. But ultimately, that's what that word means. And so hopefully, you know, we're all in that place because that's what we're called to, being a witness ultimately. But the definition I wrote down for us is this. A witness for Christ knows and lives for the ultimate hope in communion with the church and Holy Spirit in order to testify to the hopeless, right? A witness for Christ knows and lives for the ultimate hope in communion with the church and Holy Spirit in order to testify to the hopeless, okay? And so that's what we're going to talk about today, and I've broken that up into three sections, uh, as the commas show there. Um, And so the first point, right, is that we have to know and live for the ultimate hope. And I was really tempted to label this uh, section that we have to know better, right? As a witness, you know better um, because we do, right? <laughs> right? Our eyes have been opened. And so in order to be a witness for Christ, you have to know better. It's really important to recognize that this world and the earth that we're living in is not all there is, right? We, we know there's something after that, and especially this world in its current state. <laughs> like, Our world is, a lot of the times when you look at it, kind of messy, right? And we know that God did not intend it to be that way. And so Hebrews 13, uh, 13, verse 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come, right? And I think I can say with confidence that us in this room all know that. 
right? Our eyes, we know better. Our eyes have been opened, so to speak, okay? But there was a time in all of our lives, you know, whether you uh, professed Jesus from an infant, you know, when you were an infant, or you didn't know Jesus until you were 35, 45, 75, where you didn't know better, right? You had no clue that you were living in darkness. And that is how outside of this room, a lot of the world is, right? A lot of the world is living in a place where they don't know any better. Um, And at some point in all of our lives, Jesus came in, and there was this point where he revealed himself to us, right? So quick sidebar, I'm a creative person. I was doing acting before I came to Austin and, you know, started working for Young Life and so I like that avenue of stuff, and so I got a couple movie clips for us today in, our, in this, okay? And this first one is a scene my dad is probably watching right now, and he's going to laugh because he's used this before in his sermon, so I guess I'm stealing a little bit. But uh, this is a scene from The Matrix, right, okay? And I think it illustrates this point in our lives and the point that people need to come to pretty well. So let's watch that really quick. Do you want to know? what it is. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. scene. I got to tell you, I love that scene. I love that movie, but I love that scene a lot. Um, And obviously it's not perfect, right? Because it's not the Bible. It's not the gospel, but it's pretty cool how close it comes to illustrating that point that we all reach, right? Um, And I think that we know, right, that you have to 
make that choice. And like he said in the clip, there's no going back once you make that choice, right? We, we hear that Jesus is our Savior. We hear that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that he's died for our sins. And we take that red pill. We can't go back anymore. We know better, right? Whether, whether you hear that once and then you're like, ah, I'm not sure. Like, it's still been said. It's still been said, right? Um, so I think that's pretty powerful. And as witnesses, we've all taken the red pill, so to speak. So we all know what the truth is. We're blind, but now we can see. And I think if somebody claims to be a witness, kind of this reminded me of what Nate was talking about last week of, you know, (laughs) if somebody claims to be a witness but doesn't believe that Jesus is their savior, you're being deceived, right? Like, (laughs) you're not probably being deceived. You are being deceived. If they claim to be a witness for Christ, but they don't proclaim that, if they haven't taken the red pill, like, you're being deceived. Um, and so I think that's important to note. Um, and Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 says this. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And that's what happens, right? You take that, you know the truth, and you become a part of his household, right? Our eyes are open, and I think one of the things that he opens our eyes to, and probably the most exciting thing for me that he opens our eyes to, is the ultimate hope. And what is that ultimate hope? Well, that is the renewal of all things, right? The Bible talks about the renewal of all things a lot, and that means Jesus is coming back, right? He's going to make everything that is messed up right now how it was intended to be. He's going to come back. All things are going to be new. You and me, this earth, heaven, all of it is going to be new. Um, and Revelation 21, 1 through 5, we've all heard this a million times, but we can't not read this, right? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw that the holy city, New Jerusalem, was coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Right? He's making all things new. And he also says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we know that this is going to happen. Right? The fact that he said that, pretty important. And that gets me fired up. Yo. Like I, seriously, it gets me so excited. And it also brings me this joy that I don't think many other things bring to, to us. Right? I actually don't think anything can bring us joy like that. Right? It's overwhelming. It's so cool. Um, now, This hope, right, this ultimate hope is different than other hopes in our lives. And John Eldridge, some of you guys have probably heard of him, uh, he wrote a book in 2017 that's called All Things New, which makes the, you know, the title of the book is pretty obvious what the book is about. But uh, he, he puts in there a section where he talks about the three different types of hope or like levels of hope, right? And he he says the first level of hope is a casual hope, right? Those are like the daily hopes that we have. We, uh, you know, I hope that it doesn't rain today, 
you know, and there's nothing wrong with hopes like that, right? Those show hope, having hope in general and those small casual hopes shows our heart is alive, right? We're willing to do that. Um, and then there's deeper, the precious hopes, right, which are things that are deep longings in our heart. Like, we want them to happen. You know, uh, I hope that the CT scan comes back negative or, you know, not negative. Yeah, medical negative is positive. Um, <laughs> but, you know, stuff like that where we really are longing for it. And then he says on the deepest level are our ultimate hopes, Right. And those are our life and death hopes. And he suggests that the only things that belong in that category are things that will destroy our heart and soul if they're not fulfilled, right? And so ultimately, I think, <laughs> well, first I'll say what he says, right? So this is the quote that he says about those hopes. He says, you'll notice that many people have let their hopes go wandering, right? They have made casual hopes into precious hopes and turned genuinely precious hopes into critical or ultimate hopes. Here's my point. The renewal of all things is meant to be your first hope in the way that God is your first love. If it isn't the answer to your wildest dreams, if you aren't ready at this very moment to sell everything and buy this field, then you have placed your hopes somewhere else, right? And that's, that's biblical. That reminds me of the rich young ruler, right? He, he, God says to him, no, well, you got to sell everything. And what is, he doesn't do it. He can't do it. He, he's not willing to give up all that stuff, right? So, that's our first point. To be a witness for the kingdom, you have to know and live for the second coming of that kingdom, okay? Those are, that's, that's the first point. So moving on to our second point in our definition, which is in communion with the church and Holy Spirit. Um, now, I think this is probably the most obvious of the three, uh, because if you do a Google search for verses about uh, community in the church or relationship with the Holy Spirit, there's like hundreds of them, right? Um, and so what I want to, I, I group this together, the church and the Holy Spirit, because I think they end up going hand in hand if you really look into it, right? So first of all, in Acts 1.8, it says, you know, as witnesses, we receive the Holy Spirit. So it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, right? So we know that as witnesses, we receive that Holy Spirit. If we proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior in that first, you know, the first section and uh, do that, then we receive that Holy Spirit and we have it as witnesses. But it's our job to cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and it's not a one-sided relationship. We know that God speaks and he works too. Um, but that happens, like Abigail said, through time with the Lord, right? When we listen for his voice, uh, when, we, when we come before his feet and repent, right? And, and we come before him in repentance and prayer. That's what happens. The Lord loves when we're vulnerable, right? Uh, and when we ask for his help and his forgiveness. And I think we often can believe the lie uh, I believe this lie many times in the past. When I've messed up or something, I feel like I have to have it all together before I come to the Lord's feet, right? And that's just, uh, that's crap, quite honestly. You know, that's not true. You know, we, we don't have to have it all together. You know, we, we, God wants us to come to his feet when we don't have it all together. I would go so far as to not listen to a worship song in the car when I had messed up like a day before, right? Because I was believing this lie that I had to, oh, let me, you know, put on my nice clothes first, and then I'll come before Jesus, and then he'll be ready to accept me. No, that's, that's not true. 
Um, but the more that we do those things, right, the more we come before his feet, the deeper our intimacy with him grows. And we get to discover who Christ has made us to be, who he is, and, and the gifts that he's given us, right? We discover those things when we come before his feet and when we're intimate with him. And it also becomes a lot easier for us to turn around and pour out his love onto other people when we do that, right? Because we know who we are in Christ and we know who he is. Um, I, you probably heard it put before, you know, like God is the faucet and you get filled up in your cup and then you go pour the cup out and then you come back and you get filled up more. But like, if God is the faucet, why does the faucet have to stay in one place? You know what I mean? Like, if God is the faucet, he doesn't have to follow the rules of a normal faucet. <laughs> he, he's going to move with us. The cup just moves, right? And so instead of having to go underneath God's presence and get filled up and then come and pour it out again, we just move with God and he moves with us, right? And he is continuously filling us up and that cup is overflowing without us even really realizing it sometimes. Kyle is amazing at this. I've never been around somebody who loves Jesus as much as Kyle. And it's intoxicating, right? Because he just overflows Jesus. He overflows what he believes and what he knows about the Lord to be true. Um, and then, you know, so that's our relationship, right, with the Trinity. Insert, you know, Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, insert any of them into that spot. They're all the same, you know? And so uh, when we come together, this is where it becomes church, right? We take each of those individual relationships that we have with the Lord and we bring them together into the body, and that's what makes it up, you know? That's what makes it up. Um, so it's all of us individuals who are striving after the Lord on their own, and then they come together to pursue him corporately and alongside one another. That's what the body of Christ is. Uh, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Um, it's a beautiful mural of individuals who love Jesus. That's, that's what the body is, I think. Um, and we find out when we come together how our gifts complement one another, too. Not only do we come together and, you know, the Holy Spirit moves in great ways when we're together, but we find out what gifts we have and how those complement each other, and it moves the kingdom along a lot faster when we come together because we're not meant to do this alone, you know? Um, Romans 1, 11 and 12, uh, Paul is saying, you know, he greets him, and he, it's in his greeting. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to, to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, right? And that's a pretty simple and good picture of what this is, right? We're mutually encouraging each other and walking alongside each other in faith, but we're not only doing that, we're called to love one another, right? And I think the, the word love has kind of been uh, misused a lot. Haley's going to laugh at me because I talk about this all the time. But in today's world, love and acceptance are kind of like interchangeable, right? But that's not the case. Accepting and loving is, are different things, right? Loving somebody means, you know, if I'm messing up over here, uh, Jessica's going to call me out because she sees that I'm doing something wrong, you know, or if I have you know, blasphemed over here, then Haley's probably going to turn and say to me, like, hey, Ben, hon, you probably shouldn't say that. You know, like, that's, <laughs> you know, that's what the body of Christ is. That's what love is, right? It's, it's not only loving people for who they are and who they are in Christ, but calling them out when we see them going off that track. Um, and the, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but it's really just the first couple of verses. First Peter 4, 8 through 11 is what I put up there. But 
First, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offering hospita- offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, right? And it goes on to talk about if anybody speaks, they should be doing it in, you know, in God's, uh, in the very words of God, you know, in, and it's all good stuff. But those first, I don't know why I put all those in there. <laughs> but the first, the first, Two verses are really what I think hit home. Um, And so, long story short, we're not meant to run this race alone, like I said before, right? Jesus sent out his disciples by two. He dove in deep with the 12 that he had with him at all times. Heck, even the animals, when they came to the ark, they came in pairs. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) it's creation, the same thing. They came in pairs. And so, uh, we're not supposed to do it alone. Um, and our faith together is a lot stronger than it is in isolation. And I think that's what we take away from that point, right? And then lastly, all right, this is, we're moving on to our third and final uh, part of the definition, which is to testify to the hopeless. And we're going to start this off with a clip, all right, another movie clip, from Lord of the Rings, okay? Return of the King, which is <laughs> probably the best one, you know? <laughs> One, one best picture and stuff, so you can't really argue with me there. All right, go ahead. We'll play that. I didn't think it would end this way. End? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What? And Elf? See what? White shores. Far green country under a swift sunrise. That isn't so bad. I was trying to cut it off before that point, but a <laughs> little jolt at the end there for us. Um, whew, I mean, we know that Tolkien loved Jesus, but come on, man. Like, he just, that's like a beautiful picture of heaven and eternity. Um, and we'll come back to that clip later. I'm not going to reference it yet, but I think it was a good way to start this out. Um, so Matthew 28 16 through 20, right? The Great Commission. Um, we've heard it a thousand times before, um, but we're going to read it one more time right now because it's necessary. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? Whew. I mean, I can't probably count how many times I've heard that before, but 
it's pretty clear what we're supposed to do. And I think this is the part where we probably get a little scared sometimes, right? If you're like me, this is the part where we, we get a little freaked out. And maybe some of you are like, no, Ben, come on, I don't have any problems going to make disciples. And honestly, props to you if that is the case. Like, I, I give you a lot of props. But I think this is where the devil comes at us the hardest, right? Because he doesn't want us to do this part, okay? This is the part where, uh, as witnesses, this is the work, right? This is what those two points, those first two points, this is what it leads to. Um, and we're really good at the first two points, I think, especially in America, right? We're really good at knowing what's coming and the ultimate hope and reading our Bibles. And we're really good at cultivating relationships with our church family and with Jesus. But we're not super great at this last part a lot of the times, right? It's kind of where we chicken out. Um, and that's because it's probably the most uncomfortable part of this whole witness gig, right? Um, and it's really easy to just—it's really easy and tempting to just sit back and soak in, and and I think America kind of plays into that sometimes because we got a really selfish culture, right? We we're all about more, more, more for us, us, me, 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 and we do that. We we're we're all guilty of that, um, and so sitting back and keeping to ourselves isn't what we're called to do, though, right? It, it says that in the Great Commission, and it clearly says to go and make disciples of all nations. That's why I focused on those last two definitions of witness from Google. They're verbs, right? They're active. They're not passive, right? They're, they're active things that we have to go and do. Um, and we can't leave this part out. Now, if you're like me, a big reason it can be freaky to do this part is because a lot of the times we think that if we label ourselves as a Christian, and we all do, we all believe in Jesus, and anything that is labeled by Christianity, I think we are fearful that people are against that a lot of the time, um, especially in a city like like Austin or in a culture like ours nowadays with cancel this, cancel that. You know, like we fear that, I think. And I think whether we want to admit that or not, that's probably deep down what stops us a lot of the time. Um, and we assume that people aren't going to listen because we're, we're labeled those things, because we're followers of Jesus. However, I don't think that that's the case as often as we think it is. There's, sure, there are times, you know, where people are adamantly against what you have to say as a believer. And for that, like, it's, it's the, like the parable of the seeds being thrown out, right? If some of them are going to fall on the path, and they're not going to grow. And we, that doesn't stop us, right? The seeds still have to go out one way or another. Um, and so... My dad, sorry to reference him again, once said in a sermon of his that there's a God-shaped hole inside of everybody, right? Inside of all of us. And humanity is really guilty, ourselves included, of trying to fit other stuff in that hole that is not God, right? Whether you know better, like we said before, or not, we're all guilty of that. Whether you know him already and you put other things before him and you try to fit those things in that hole, or whether you don't know any better at all and you're just turning to things of the world because you got to cope with this somehow, right? You got to cope with everything that's going on somehow. Um, Tom Brady was interviewed in 2006, okay, after he'd won his third Super Bowl. And in this interview, uh, he said this to the interviewer, okay? He said, there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? 
I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. And I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? And the interviewer asked him, well, what do you think that is, Tom? And he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Right? Tom Brady. Tom freaking Brady. This guy has a supermodel wife. He's rich, right? He's won now six Super Bowls and is arguably the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Not even arguably. He's the greatest quarterback in NFL history and arguably the best football player ever. And he still wonders if there's something more, right? He has tried to fill that hole, probably with football, you know, and with success in what he does, and he still doesn't know what's supposed to fit in there. He still feels like something is missing. Tom Brady. There's a great book by a guy named Josh Reebok who went to a high school in my hometown um, called Wheaton Academy. We always used to make fun of them because they were the private school. And, you know, we'd always, oh, the academy. You know, like they, had, they had really highfalutin educations and stuff. And it really, I know some people from there. It didn't sound like they did too much school. You know, like I, a lot of Chipotle lunches and leaving campus and stuff. I don't know. Um, but... This guy, Josh Reebok, he wrote a book uh, called Heroes and Monsters, right? And Heroes and Monsters uh, is all about his journey with God. It's, and he takes us through his life, essentially, in this book in a really cool storytelling way. Um, and I want to read one part where he's speaking from God's perspective in this part. He, he's interpreting what he feels like the Lord has said to him. And this is what he says about the Lord. And I think this paints a really cool picture of what the world longs for, right? So it's, you may not like me, but you know me. Even those who don't know me, know me. In the chaos of the wind and in the perfect cadence of the tide, you know me. In a bride's happy giggle and in the stampeding rhino, you know me. And you feel me. And deep inside, something, uh, and something deep inside of you wants to return to me. I know this. So when you cry for help, for hope, for some kind of relief, for your insides to be warmed, for destiny, for something, you are crying for me. When you're not even sure who it is that you're crying out for, you're crying out for me. Whether you know it or not, I am, I am, I am all that you are crying out for. Call me the boundless one, the braiding of thunder and elegance. I've been around since forever and I'll be here long after all the trees are replaced by holographic projections and your country is absorbed by a smaller one across the way. I go by a lot of names, some more appropriate than others but mostly I am, I am God. I mean, come on. It's not my words, but like the dude just brings the fire with that, right? Like that is what all of humanity feels deep down, whether they know it or not. And guys, we have the answer to that, right? We've been, it's been revealed to us. Our eyes have been opened. And I'm hurrying up because I know I'm a little bit over time. But we're almost done, I promise. Um, and so it's really simple, right? How do we tell them? How do we tell them? Well, I think it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? You don't need to know how to read and write and speak Greek or have like a PhD in biblical studies or an MDiv or whatever. Like, those aren't bad things, but I don't know of anybody who was like reasoned into the kingdom of heaven. You know, like... Yeah, I, don't, I don't think that happened. Yeah. Um, so all we need to do, all we need to know how to do is to be able to articulate what Jesus has done for us 
and the reward that we receive when we let him in to our hearts, right? And I think that's why I play that clip of Gandalf they're in this turmoil, right? All this stuff swirling around him. This, everything's going really badly. And Pippin is hopeless. He's one of the hopeless people in that situation. But Gandalf has seen what's next. He's seen the eternity that is to come. And he shares it with him right there. And he gives him hope right there in that moment, right? When everything is swirling and, and chaos is all around him. Um, and I think that's all we can really do, right? The rest is up to the Lord. We're not the ones working in a person. We're simply witnesses who declare how Jesus transformed us. Um, You know, a a witness says this, I may not know much, but I was blind and that guy made me see. I was blind and that guy made me see. And that happens so many times in the Bible, it's not even funny. You know, guy in a cave who's uh, possessed by a thousand demons. Jesus sets him free, what does he go and do? He runs into town and immediately starts telling everybody what Jesus did for him. You know, Um, Peter you know, Peter, he, they put the, Peter and John put the mud on the guy's eyes. He goes down, washes it off, he can see. He goes and tells everybody what, what the power of Jesus did for him, you know? Um, and so I'm going to close this out with this from John 1, 6 through 9. Um, it says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And that's what we get to be, you know? That, that's what we get to be. We get to be witnesses to tell about the light that wipes away all the darkness that there's ever been before. So let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being our God, Lord. I'm so glad that you're in charge and that we're not. Um, It's really hard to try and control everything on our own. And I'm glad that we don't have to do it on our own, that your Holy Spirit is right there alongside of us, walking and moving with us, God. I pray today for everybody in this room that we would have boldness and the courage to step out in your name into the, into the identity we've been given as witnesses for you, Lord. Um, that we would not be afraid of that, that we would not cower away from it, but that we would step fully into it. Um, because the world, the world would change, Lord. So many people would come to know you if we all did that, God. Um, so we just ask you for those things today, Lord. And it's in your son's name we pray all these things, amen.